Hello, Detroit and the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the Lower East Side here in the city, powered by the East Side Community Network and sponsored by none other than the Ford Foundation. Now a content partner to the newbridgedetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey. And I'm Donna Gibbons-Davidson. Thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe. Subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. We drop a new episode every week, so be sure to turn on those notifications. Donna, it's good to see you. Certainly a lot going on in the world, but how are you? Um, Honestly, I'm feeling a little bit drained. Um, Pretty sad today. Um, we lost an icon, a um, champion of the East Side in uh, Wayne County Commissioner Jewel Ware. Um, our sheriff is hospitalized on a ventilator. And it just reminds me today how real all of this is. Um, so between that and the misbehavior of the GOP, they're going to lose, but they're losing so ugly. And the things that they're releasing into the world are just so unattractive that it really has me in a different kind of mood today. How about you? I'm, I'm okay. Uh, really a productive day. Of course, was saddened to hear about uh, Wayne County Commissioner Jewel Ware. And I was uh, sharing with the Bridge Detroit team that every meeting, every gathering and planning study she was there. She was going to make sure she showed up. I mean, just just an outright champion and especially a champion for uh, senior citizens here on the east side of Detroit. It is a tremendous loss, uh, not only for the city of Detroit, but for the county and the state. Um, uh, so our condolences go out to um, Jewel Ware's uh, family. Um, I'm doing okay. Again, you know, productive week. We took the week off uh, last week, um, I was going through a very painful loss of a friend, um, a young friend of mine who I had the pleasure of knowing since he was 11 years old and he was taken away from us um, so early at just uh, age 22. So it's been, um, it's been, it's been uh, hard. And so I appreciate you for allowing the space for uh you know, a break, a, the space for a breather, <laughs> because you know, I, I really but, needed it. Yeah, but but you know, I um, a good friend suffered a loss. Um, her nephew, who's 26 years old, was killed in a car accident, and I think I shared that with you. Yeah. And you shared your loss with me, and I knew him when he was a little boy. Yeah, and um, you know, um. Here's the hard thing about COVID. You don't know how to be there for people because you can't show up. I mean, the season has literally robbed us of how we are to, how we usually support and grieve with our friends and loved ones. Like I said uh, on Facebook, like the, tw- the funeral home said 25 people in attendance. I'm not a blood relative, so I had to show deference. Um, that's real. I mean, so. Geez. You know, I'm hearing, well, don't call us. Um, so, you know, send money. So I sent money, which is all I know to do, but that's not what you do as a human being. And so the absence of touch, the absence of hug, the absence of 
taking somebody food and letting them cry on your shoulders, you can sense that. Right. That's what That's we do. We, we, we take people chicken. <laughs> yeah. So um, I don't know if anybody's kitchen is, but it, it, it's a way of feeling connected to people when they're grieving. And now it's all very disconnected. I had not known until today that um, Jewel Ware was the longest serving Wayne County Commissioner. I just know this about her. She was Wayne County Commissioner, long serving, showed up at meetings, was kind, friendly, helpful, and unpretentious. And um, the kind of leader who cared about people, but was never about her title and using it to um, influence or try to exert power in meetings. And um, her, um, her death through a heart attack is a reminder that COVID is not the only health issue that we have to watch out for. Um, we have to be careful about our cardiovascular health. Do you watch Real Housewives? Donna, you've been trying to get me to watch Real Housewives. I'm sorry, I just can't. I watch Real it. Housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> and I'm not trying to throw any shade, but all of the housewives have gained quite a bit of weight. I did too, but I've been dieting Holy and taking <laughs> Oh my goodness, COVID-19, you're just sitting there. All you have to do is eat. Eating becomes a pastime. I had to watch myself like, girl, if you buy an all new wardrobe, well, you're gonna have to start reducing. But I was watching <laughs> Real Housewives. I was like, dang, even on TV, I can see the struggle is real. And all of them talked about it. Uh, but you know, how do you maintain your health? Um, because eating is a way of comforting yourself. Eating is a way of just passing time. Yeah. And um, so I, I think that, you know, one of the things that's going to be um, big on my mind moving forward is wellness. Um, mm, ECN is taking a move and saying, you know what, we are turning our offices into a wellness hub where we focus on the nine dimensions of wellness. Come through. Um, we get beyond prevention, we get beyond intervention and we say, how do we keep our people healthy on a spiritual level? on a social and emotional level, yeah. intellectually, creatively, physically. And when you start um, economically, um, when you start looking at all of those nine dimensions, it, you know, environmentally, when we start looking at wellness as something we push in our community, hopefully um, after we get through this period, when the next pandemic hits, we're ready. Yeah. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. We recognize it's hard for people and we hope that uh, those of you who listen to the show on the regular that you get a, a little ounce of joy, uh, especially in the beginning. Um, today is just it's a different kind of day we lost we lost a warrior we lost a champion um, in our community and we we certainly had to acknowledge that at the top of the show. Uh, it's time for fresh off the press. News that we are thinking about. If you have pieces that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. Donna, fresh off the press. Hey, before I get to that, so I won't be so gloomy, Luna turned three this past week. Happy yeah. birthday, Luna. Luna was three. Happy birthday, Luna, my three grandbaby. Already. Amazing. Oh my goodness. So that was the highlight of the weekend was my grandbaby turning three. Happy birthday. I mean, she had it all. She, well, I got her her first set of pearls, real pearls, um, because 
grandma, right? I know. People told me what, what having a grandchild was going to do, and I was like, not me. And then I had one. So, of course, we had to get her that and her Minnie Mouse phone, which she has been asking for. Where's my pink phone? Where's my circle phone? <laughs> so, it was a great day. Um, spent time Aww. with family, watched my granddaughter. And so, that's the other thing. The circle of life is seeing young people, you know, without a care in the world. Love. And just watching them take over right so yes we yeah, all work for luna now <laughs> oh believe me i know i saw it at your wedding luna <laughs> took the opportunity to say i don't care what y'all got going on i know y'all getting married and all of that but this is my show you understand me this is my show i love <laughs> i love to watch her just full of life full of joy yeah. happy happy third birthday luna Yes. So on to the news story. The ironically named Whiteford tells passion. Wait. Wait. You gotta warn me. Where you gonna be pulling at with all oh first it was pimps, right? I I'll never forget that pimp line. And then you start this, the ironically named Whiteford. Okay, that's where we are tonight. Okay, I'm going to meet you there. I'm with you. Let's go. All right, all right. Thank you. <laughs> so um, our own Cynthia Johnson, State Rep Cynthia Johnson, who was portrayed on Saturday Night Live during that um, painful, ridiculous faux hearing that Giuliani had at the state capitol exposing everybody to COVID, um, following that hearing, after she asked a witness to spell her name, has been receiving death threats. So she shared death threats and she shared all of the hang-up calls with her colleagues so they could understand what was happening. And State Rep Mary Whiteford from Casco Township, a place I've never heard from, of, said, her conduct during the hearing was heartless and that she should have compassion for those you disagree with. And I suppose in being she should not use her power to make people spell their names. Because that is just so rude. I mean, it's so crazy to me. And this is following our state rep, Cynthia Johnson, posting several messages to her Facebook page including one with like, uh, where a caller says she should be swinging from a rope and she's called multiple racial slurs. It's asinine. I, it, you know, Kimberly Craig ran it on uh, Channel 7 and they actually played uh, some of the voicemails. You were able to hear uh, just uh, the, the evilness and the disturbing nature of some of these messages. And it reminds me that this is where uh, we are as a country, especially with uh, folks who really see uh, Black people in power as threatening, folks who really are upset that uh, the Black vote has prevailed. And so someone made the point about, you know, getting out to the polls, but what are we doing to protect our vote? And folks like Jonathan Kinlock and folks like Cynthia Johnson and folks like uh, Jocelyn Benson are doing 
everything that they can to make sure that our votes are protected, much to the dismay of their lives being threatened. There were folks outside of Jocelyn Vince's home armed, chanting, uh, stop, the, stop the steal. And all of these claims have been debunked in court. The Supreme Court just denied uh, the Trump campaign uh -huh. Uh, uh, request to overturn uh, the results in, uh, I think it was Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, excuse me, the state. And so all of these are baseless, but what, it, what he is intentionally doing is creating an atmosphere of, and, and what he has done throughout the entire presidency is uh, create a polarizing atmosphere that turns into danger Polarization leads to people's lives being in danger. You can't tell me if folks are lined up outside my house armed that they don't want to use their arms. I'm sorry, I don't, you know what I mean? Like you can't well, first tell me. Of all, this, this using guns and showing up, you know, um, I'm reading um, A Promised Land by Barack Obama and it's a good book. I don't like every aspect of it. Um, I wish I hadn't read the parts about Jeremiah Wright because it pulls you into another culture war, but it's a good book. <laughs> and he talks in, in, in part about when he was in San Francisco and he made the comment about um, rural people clinging to guns and religion. And um, he regrets having said that. And it's like, but it's true, isn't it? That's what they're doing. They're clinging to their guns and they're um, religiosity, I won't even say it's religion because somehow um, Trump is the redeemer in their other faith that has nothing to do with anything related to Christ, but Trump is their redeemer and he's the chosen one and they're using their guns to establish their authority over people. I mean, it's crazy and it really speaks to um, some things that are not new and are not Trump because this started before Trump. This started actually when Barack Obama was a candidate. Absolutely. And he needed secret service long before any candidate did because the threats to his life were more severe more often than ever in recorded history. It started when his citizenship was called into question yep. and authorism was made a thing. It started when somebody spliced together a bunch of um, Jeremiah Wright's sermons to try and say he was un-American. It started when they said he wasn't wearing a flag pin, like many other people weren't wearing flag pins, but somehow him wearing a flag pin was an issue. It started when um, birtherism, he provided a long form birth certificate to prove he was American long and people form. said, oh no, we still don't believe it. Because illegitimacy in their mind had nothing to do with the fact that they did not believe what's on a sheet of paper. He was not legitimate as president because he was a black man. And, you know, and then you have Colin Powell who kneeled. And when he kneeled, he was said, it was said that he was un-American and he was disrespecting our troops. I um, mean, this had nothing to do with a real love of our troops. And we know that because when Come Russia on. put a bounty on their heads, same folks didn't blink. So, you know, I, I you know, this carries over to delegitimize the first black president and then now try to delegitimize black voters in general um, is a serious thing. The only warning I have, and I and it's I'm gonna get some pushback from this possibly. 
is that we have to be very careful in Detroit when we get upset that we don't contribute to those narratives. We cannot like our city clerk and we can think we need a new city clerk. But when we share suspicion also that her behavior is illegitimate and illegal, that does not protect our votes. People can sometimes draw on that and use it as a means, sometimes our own words. The reality is Daniel Baxter was right there beside you helping with this vote and you saw what he was doing. And his credibility and his Absolutely. competency has been called into question over the years. He has been the director of election all of these years. So, you know, people are coming after the clerk where I believe we need a new clerk. I'm not saying we don't, but I think that how we criticize people and how we engage in electoral politics and how we engage in criticism is very important. If what we're communicating is, we don't believe these votes matter, then we have to understand there are people who are ready to take our votes away from us completely, completely. and say we're corrupt. And so I hope that we can Ooh, figure that's a, a way to engage in political dialogue and debate that don't end up contributing to a narrative of um, corruption and you know fraud in our own elections, such that everybody else feels like they can seize on that. And sometimes, can some of these conversations and criticisms be inside conversation and not in front of the company? You know what I'm saying? Like, why do we always have? <laughs> why do we always gotta have our conversations so loud and so in public and publicly uh, disparage and disagree with each other? Some of this stuff needs to happen intra community. And I, let that be that. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I mean, look at the Republicans. They will not come out and say Donald Trump lost the election. Okay. But they have enough, you know, they have some inside conversations they don't let us hear. Not on parlor, but they have some inside conversations they don't let us hear. I agree with you. I think that we have got to say and do things understanding the world is listening and the world would like to believe that we are corrupt, that we are incompetent, and we are not capable of managing our own government. And so out of self-love, I just say, I want to make sure that I personally, this is my commitment, yeah. that I will personally not contribute to dialogue that calls into question the sanctity and the validity of our local elections, even when I don't like the results. I, I appreciate you saying that. And my heart goes out to every public official who is receiving um, threats. Um, I'm praying uh, for your mental health because that can be taxing and I am praying for your safety and to every journalist who is also receiving widespread threats, um, even in the Bridge Michigan newsroom as well. Um, we're thinking about you and we are praying for you. I know that that can't be um, an easy pill uh, to swallow. Uh, and I hope that we start prosecuting people for terror and harassment and all of that behavior. We have a way of finding out who some of these people are. I don't say ease up. We know there's people who call for the death of some public officials and even public officials. I don't, I don't like, remember last year when the secretary of state in Georgia was the one we hated? Yeah. <laughs> and, and trust. yeah. <laughs> and, and now, so, you know, now he's, and, and the director of elections or the United States or whoever it was over all of our elections is named Krebs, who's being mm. threatened and people are saying he should be drawn and quartered. We live in a time where I think we all just have to think through the importance of democracy. 
Um, I've never ever felt how precious it is. Yes. I, I I saw I I don't think I realized just how traumatic being at TCF Center was during the Central Counting Board. Uh, it it is something that is so precious that I think uh, people who saw that and witnessed it, even if even if you weren't there, but on TV, uh, that that's that's going to stick with you. That's gonna that's gonna stay with you. I've never seen anything like that in my life. I've never seen anything like that. And it's it's living proof to the critics that say that our votes don't count. Yes, they do. Yes, our votes count. Yes. Black Detroit votes count. Right. Fresh off the press, Black Hispanic Detroiters hesitant to take coronavirus vaccine. Olivia Lewis from Bridge Detroit is reporting. So this is a uh, a, a survey that was. Uh, done by the Detroit Metro Area Community Study through the University of Michigan that found that you know Black and Hispanic Detroiters were more likely to say that they would not get the vaccine than any other group. And the survey data and local experts indicate a correlation to uh, a lack of trust on part of Detroiters, um, ongoing racial health disparities, lack of access to reliable information, and people's refusal to get vaccinated. So a uh, funny story, um, I had a hand in... Um, getting this story sort of source. Um, I posed a question last week on my Facebook page that asked the question, if a vaccine became available, would you get vaccinated? I had no idea. And Donna, you're actually on that thread as well, that the thread will become this thing that it became, right? And sort of, you know, a sounding board for everybody with every kind of opinion imaginable coming on and saying, yes, um, or no. One of the things, though, that stuck out to me, even in my my small firsthand data independent survey, was that most of the people who were saying no to the vaccine or not yet to the vaccine were Black folks, and most of the folks who uh, were saying yes were non-Black folks. And it was even the case on my Instagram uh, feed. And you know, one of the th and people you know cited sources about the Tuskegee experiment, Henrietta Lacks. You know, all of these uh, in encounters that Black folks have had with a you know a health system that gives us disparate care. Um, and so uh, Olivia, I thought, did a great job of capturing, you know, some of the folks, some of the folks who said no, uh, asked to why. And I think this is a conversation that we really need to have um, intentionally if we expect for the curve of the coronavirus spike to go down in 2021 and we return to a new sense of normalcy, not go back to what was, but a new sense of normalcy, but a normalcy where Donna, me, you can be inside of the studio and I can hug you and I can see you um, face to face. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's concerning to me, right? Uh, but what's also uh, concerning is that we, very clearly have you know a, a black population within the city of Detroit that is in active trauma. It's not that people are being traumatized or have been traumatized. Folks are experiencing active trauma as we speak, and there is no trust um, for to corporations and no trust to the health system. Well, I mean, if if some people consider the virus to be the China virus, the vaccine is Trump's vaccine. 
He's the one who um, developed Operation Warp Speed and has been promising a vaccine all of this time. And um, 10 months is an exceptionally fast time frame to develop a vaccine. Um, it has not been reviewed, peer reviewed in medical journals. Um, the FDA has not yet approved it. And nobody really, really knows the side effects on our populations. So, um, you know, when like, you have- Can you say more about that? Because I like what you said. That was a powerful sentence. Nobody really knows the side effects on all populations. Can you say, can you say more about what you mean when you say that? Oh, yeah. So when you do drug testing or any type of um, medical testing, the first thing they do is they test it among people who are similar in terms of age, race, health conditions, so that they can control for differences, right? So they have these control groups. And I'm, I'm not a scientist. I'm a lay person, but this is my understanding. So if there are any scientists- Excuse me, you there, are a lecturer at Columbia University. Whatever you say <laughs> is oak. Keep going. We listen. But there are control <laughs> groups. And so- what you try to do is evaluate how it works by having people who are similar, okay? And so they're, now they have different racial groups they've tested it with. They're just now testing it with young people. Um, I don't know that they've tested it with people because I, I haven't seen any peer-reviewed articles or anything like that who have pre-existing conditions. I haven't seen what, how the, the drug impacts diabetics. What I do know is that um, some people are saying that there are some side effects and the side effects kind of mimic a mild case of COVID-19. And that's after your first dose, then you have to go back and get a second dose. So I think that this idea that it's like the MMR vaccine where you just go in and they shoot it in your arm, you don't have to come back for 15 years or whatever the time frame is, this is not where we're at. We're at a vaccine where they're still in the process of trying to evaluate how well it works. And one of the first things that happened when they first started talking about the vaccine, there were French doctors who said, oh, we should test it in Africa. I what? remember that. Ridiculous. Right? Well, you know, we all remember that because, you know, Black folks have that Tuskegee kind of memory where we're like, huh, Africa? Or we should test it in prisons. And you start looking at, wait a minute, are these populations of people that you want to test it in because you want to protect them? Or is it because you're trying to look for populations of people who might be a little bit more disposable than others? People who, mm -hmm. well, you know what, if Africans die, they're gonna die anyway. I actually heard some things like they, they, they don't have much to lose. Uh -huh. And so oh, when, wow. you, when, you, when you choose populations, I think, that's one of the issues is the lack of knowledge of the test, the lack of scientific certainty, and the fact that Donald Trump has not listened to scientists. I want to say something about Black people, though. Black mm -hmm. people are more likely to wear masks than any people. Black people yeah. are social distancing and not necessarily in these big gatherings. And even when we protest, we're masked up and trying to stay apart. That's why Detroit has plummeted, because That's we right. are following science. So the only concern I have is when people somehow try to conflate a hesitancy to use a Trump vaccine while Trump is president and in control of distribution and say, well, hey, black people are superstitious or anti-science or we're not doing what's necessary to make Whatever. this thing go away. 
when Joe Biden is president and Kamala Harris is vice president and they in, install their people over all of these agencies and they are not calling the head of the FDA in to start demanding answers to why they have not finally approved the virus. When we put scientists back in charge of science and we have people we trust overseeing the institutions of government, come back and ask black and Hispanic people how they feel about this. When we have answers to some of these questions and when people are going out and saying, here is how things work and we're getting information that we want to receive. But you know who's anti-science? It's not black folks. You want to see some anti-science? There's some communities you can go to. Right now. You up for telling you to wear a mask and tell you masks don't work. Um, so that's my only issue. I think it's an important thing for us to understand. I think it's important for us to understand in reading cast by, by Isabel Wilkerson, she talks about the centuries Come of scientific on. experimentation. We only know about Tuskegee. There's so here, much more. Come on. The father of um, the gynecology, the father of gynecology experimented on black women and black infants, disgusting man, a, a, a predator, somebody who treated us as though our life had no value. So there's a little healthy suspicion when healthy. they Absolutely. roll out the vaccine, here's what I suggest. They don't make a racial differentiation between who gets it and who doesn't. Don't come in telling us, well, we're going to do this because you guys are more at risk and we're concerned about you because we don't believe you. You're trying to cut off our health care. So we don't believe you're concerned about our lives. Well, Donna, can I go back to this point, though? Like, I, I like what you're saying, and you don't want to distribute it by race, but I also think in terms of population, you talked about people with pre-existing conditions and, you know, all kinds of pre-existing health uh, challenges, but um, isn't, uh, you know, race also a population that we need to pay attention to when we talk about side effects because there, yeah. of course, there are certain diseases that plague different races more than they plague others. And so what, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, I think that the, in, during the vaccine trials, they should demonstrate through their studies and release of data, the differences in how black people who've been in those vaccine studies have reacted. I yeah. want to know and I'm the type of person who will try to think I can read. I, I won't understand everything. I'm going to try to read that journal article anyway, just to look for some numbers and try to understand. But I think as importantly, we need people who are scientists on television, in network news, explaining to us what all of this means. Trusted, independent people yeah. who are not attached to the outcome. And when that happens, I believe we will be full scale doing this because of course we care about our health. We care about our children. We care about our communities. We want to be able to hug each other. We want to go to church and just feel safe. We want to be able to memorialize people who have left us. We want to be able to go back to work. I never thought I'd miss going to work so much. You know, I'm like, I miss an office. Let me tell you, I do too. I, I never was the work from home type. I love being in the office around people. <laughs> <laughs> so. I think we're going to be okay. But I, and I'm glad you guys are raising it. But I think we're going to be okay. I just don't think we're ready yet. And I think that um, we, we don't even always think through why we're not ready yet. It's a gut feeling. Nope. And I think that's why this conversation is important because I think it's important to be able to name why, right? If you have a stance, um, you have, have made a decision, especially if you want uh, to engage in public discourse about it, which was that Facebook post. 
you know, it, it, it helps to have, you know, to be able to name why, why you feel the way that you feel. And I think these are conversations that um, are being daylighted to the larger world that we have always had within our community. And I think, I think it's good. I think it's good that people are seeing, um, you know, the conversations that are happening, this conversation is happening within the Black community and how the level of distrust for this president and for the health system at large is palpable. It's, some, it's really something. Uh, that wraps up our Fresh Up the Press segment. If you have pieces that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. Donna, uh, some really big news today out of the city of Detroit, uh, the municipal government actually, um, uh, Mayor Mike Duggan held a press conference with uh, his uh, public health officer, Dr. Abdul El Saeed, um, the director of the water department, Gary Brown, uh, and he announced that uh, the city will extend a moratorium on water shutoffs until uh, the year uh, 2022. Uh, I got the embargo press release um, earlier uh, this morning um, and I had thoughts, um, a, a, lot, a lot of thoughts surrounding this announcement, but um, certainly this is good news for a lot of folks who are uh, and have been worried about how they're going to pay their water bills if the moratorium um, was lifted. But Donna, let me ask you this. Is this, you know, is this the fix? Is this what we have been fighting for? Is this what, um, you know, we've been demanding for years and years as activists and community organizers, and, you know, all of that? Um, water activists have been fighting for a water affordability plan that would make the cost of water more affordable for low-income people and creating, create a sliding scale so that people are not paying, overpaying for water or that the water rates are not regressive. And the city has resisted that, saying that there is a Headley Amendment that stops them from being able to differentiate between income groups. So they have to charge the same thing. Now, the city did make a distinction between churches and other businesses and other people who had to pay stormwater drainage fees. I remember that. And they said they were willing to do that because they could justify that churches did good things as though you know, other groups do not do good things worthy of getting a water rebate. But you know, they took the risk, expect to lose, but it's a politically smart thing to do to slow down the rates on churches right before an election year, I suppose. And so they took that risk. Um, but the reality is this moratorium is not a moratorium on your bill. It's moratorium on the shutoffs. People are still being charged the highest water rates in the state the highest water sewage and drainage free rates in the state of Michigan and some of the highest rates in the nation every month. And are they still so accumulating bills as the moratorium? Absolutely. Okay. As we're sheltering in place, our bills, um, people's bills are sometimes double, two and a half times what they normally were. And the city says, well, that's because you're using more water. So um, in that sense, the cost of water burden has shifted from employers to households that a lot of times can't afford to pay it. 
And there are people who still don't understand their bills and believe their bills are unfair. So the city says, okay, they have this through the CARES Act, they have a fund that allows them to discount the bills of low-income people by $25 a month. And they also have funding in it to, through the RAP program to help repair people's um, yeah, plumbing so yeah. that people are using less water, you know, hypothetically. Um, but the reality is there's only some places that those plumbing fixes apply. Um, and also $25 a month on a bill that maybe $200 a month is not enough. So if you are giving people a moratorium and you're not shutting them off until 2022 and they're not paying their bill until 2022, it's possible you're going to have people who owe a couple thousand dollars by the time 2022 comes along because they haven't been paying anything. Um, and a lot of times because I haven't had much to pay. And the question is what happens when you hit that balloon? Because you're going to have another crisis. Right. Um, now, have, what, yeah, what Dr. El Sayed's job is, is to try to generate longstanding policy changes and resources that will help pay some of those bills through, through philanthropy and through state and federal resources so that at the end of the day, you're not going to see that. But there still won't be a water affordability plan. What will happen is low-income people who meet certain guidelines will be included in this, you know, reduction. So it may be like pay-as-you-stay, where people's bills still exist, but they're able to discount them by a large amount. We don't know. Mm. Um, the thing is, though, that it doesn't deal with the um, infrastructure cost of water and the fact that even if you're not considered low income, water is um, a burden on households in our community. And so creating an affordability framework that says, even if you are $10,000 above that threshold and you're still struggling financially because you're paying higher car insurance and you're paying higher taxes and everything else that you, you still qualify for some assistance or your, your water is still affordable. And that is where water activists differentiate between having affordability and having charity because charity can come and make a change, the but it's a temporary fix That's that right. does not continue on. That's right, Donna. Here is my hope and my prayer. And here's my concern. It got announced so close to the election rollout that it feels as though there's a political character to this announcement. And of course, oh, when absolutely it is. So if it's political, then if it's problem solving and you're really, really trying to solve the problem, we have some of the most preeminent experts on water affordability in the nation in Detroit. Monica Lewis Patrick is nationally known. Anywhere you go in the state of, in the United States, if you say you're from Detroit and you're working anywhere around sustainability, the first person's name who comes up is Monica Lewis Patrick. We need to use her expertise. And when I say use her expertise, I mean pay her for it, but I also mean give her outcomes some, some, some credence. Don't just use her name in a press release but use her knowledge and her influence to help shape what your policy is. Come on. Often what has happened is the very same people who now say we're on the same side of the street have never apologized for minimizing the concerns that she has been raising over the years for denying that there was a correlation between healthcare and water. Now you can't get away from it now that you have COVID, but she's been saying this for years. She deserves 
her do. If I were running for mayor, and I'm serious about this, I would put her in the front of my task force and let you know Dr. El Sayed certainly support her, but there's other people who need to be at that table with her, not just her, but she certainly is at the center of the table. Absolutely. The other thing is there is a Detroiter Bill of Rights. And so if you are concerned about water, be concerned about the fact that people need shelter, be concerned about people's environmental needs and environmental rights, be concerned about economic parity, be concerned about all of it. Don't just love for me to have water, love for me to have a quality of life. Quality. And that's where I am hoping, but not hopeful, that the mayor gets in touch with the Detroiters Bill of Rights and decides I'm going to take this on. I don't and think if that happen. doesn't happen, that one policy, that water policy, for me, is not enough. But Donna, you see, I found the bill. I got a bill now. Because <laughs> we're not in the studio still. Um, you know, I'll say this. This is the kind of announcement that wins elections, right? Um, you, uh, you mentioned around, you mentioned earlier around this being a political announcement. I definitely think it is politically expedient for the mayor and he's a masterful politician to announce this the day before he's announcing his candidacy for re-election to run for mayor uh, next year. That's happening. To, we, we're recording Tuesday uh, night, guys. And so Wednesday morning um, or afternoon on um, December the 9th, you will hear an announcement for the mayor's uh, rebid for uh, his seat uh, as mayor. This is the kind of thing that wins elections. And I think that we have to, uh, you know, sort of be honest and open about, you know, the folks that within that are within our sphere of influence and in our circles who are having the conversations that you and I have every week, who understand uh, charity versus systemic change that is, you know, long lasting and who is not afraid to push back against power when it is absolutely positively necessary. But one of the things that a proposal, the proposal in and proposal B taught me is that um, an effective mediated strategy that's splashy, that actually does help people, right, um, is sometimes more than enough to win elections. And so we, you know, we were, we were, I know that I was sort of shocked at uh, how proposal in one, you know, by just, you know, a huge landslide, but I thought about the neighborhood billboards and I thought about the commercials and I thought about the news coverage and things that uh, it got. Uh, the mayor is an effective fundraiser and politician, and this is the kind of thing that will help him get elected. The question or the statement that I would make in, in all the grand scheme of things is, okay, it's a temporary fix. We thank you for that. People need that fix, right? But it is not good for cities and it is not good for politics to go unchallenged, right? The mayor needs a formidable opponent in the year 2021. And I wanna make this uh, very clear that if you are planning on running, you are already behind. <laughs> I think that um, I, if I took off all of the hats that I wear and all of the people I'm around, I'm very well informed like you are because um, we are included in a lot of conversations and we yeah. see things and we're able to analyze them up close. Um, but pull back and think of yourself living in a city where um, the garbage is picked up and the streetlights are on 
and where you do see some improvements and demolitions do make certain things look better. We are in the weeds and we're looking at, yes, you could have spent this money on this instead of that. But people sometimes are accustomed to absolutely nothing happening. I'm talking to a community leader and they said, do you really think that proposal M won't pass? <laughs> and I said, well, no, I think it may not because Okay, so the mayor has done some things that we can disagree with, but the reality is, do people vote for mayors and vote for policies that are perfect no. or policies that are good? I don't know if it's even just the billboards. I think people may be looking at that vacant house across the street. Across the street from and, them, absolutely. It's real for a lot of folks. It, the, what, what Duggan has done is he has created a vision. We may not like his vision, but he's created a vision and he has created a rationale for him to be in office. If you're going to beat him, you have to have your own vision and your own rationale for being in office and be able to communicate to people that you can do it successfully. If you can't, people in a lot of instances, I believe will say, better the devil I know. You don't have to like him. You don't have to like everything about him, but you feel as though the trains will run on time with him in charge. And so Proposal N was running unopposed. It's not like, do you want Proposal N or do you want Proposal A with all the things you like? It was Proposal N or nothing at all. We, a lot of times, believe negativity and we believe our criticisms will help defeat things. And I don't believe that's true. I think that you've got to sell a compelling... <clears throat> alternative vision. I believe those visions it's a great exist. analysis. It's a great analysis. But I, I just want to see what it is. And until then, you know, I think that we have to understand and not criticize Detroiters because Detroiters That's have right. been through emergency management, bankruptcy. We've been through, remember when HUD was taking back money and the health department was taken away and we were losing departments. Our, department, our health department was contracted out we didn't even have the health department yeah and and way metro was created because but because um the detroit department of neighborhoods i can't remember the name of that department was unable to spend their money and people were worried about spending money on furniture so either it was really 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 bad press do you remember when there was talk about mothballing parts of the city and we're not going to have fire service and police yeah. service essentially putting up a gate and closing it down yeah so Detroiters remember that. Detroiters remember when schools were closed in our neighborhoods. We remember all of that. And what I will say is just like you can't put all of what is wrong with America on Trump. You cannot put all of what is wrong with Detroit on Duggan. We've had systemic issues and we have to fix our systemic issues. And when we make our response about the people, I like this person, I don't like this person, and not about policy. And when we make our response about hostility and anger, as opposed to vision and joy, and really being able to sell something, I think we'll lose. So whoever is running, who's ever going to run against Doug, and if anybody, you know, um, man's or woman's up and, you know, comes to the table, I would suggest that what people, without a vision, people perish. Bring your vision. Come on, Bible. Come on. Bring your vision. <laughs> you know um, what, Donna? I really like that because, you know, one of the main criticisms that a lot of uh, Gen Zers had 
uh, with some of the moderate candidates and the messaging of the Democratic Party in the throughout the presidential uh, campaigns is that it's not enough for you to be anti-Trump, right? What is your vision? What are your policy statements? Where can I research how you're going to get things done? Is there a website? Is the, you know, what is your message outside of Trump ain't it? And I'm not saying that that's people's message in Detroit about Mike Duggan. A lot of people love Mike Duggan. I think people are exhaling at an exponential rate after the announcement today. I know that, that this is a palpable feeling for a lot of people not being able to have water. It's a public health hazard. The mayor did a good thing today. I want to say that. Uh, but uh, when we talk about you know uh, political competition, Lofty vision is it. Like this is the time for you to be big, audacious, and daring. And you know, I'm waiting to see um, who who you know throws their hat in the ring if anybody does. Yeah. Well, what's your comparison about um, the national races that just took place and the disappointment that um, senators had and people in the House had and the decision that we'll just blame progressives because we don't like them anyway. And um, you know, so Biden won handily, right? Yeah. But we lost House seats. We um, lost one Senate seat and gained three. And we're looking to see if we can get two more. Um, the narrative. You know that. Did you see that Georgia debate? Godly. But go ahead, finish your point. <laughs> you know what? Listen, I was, I, I, I attended the Harvard Summer Leadership Institute in 2002. And Raphael Warnock was my classmate. Oh, that's dope. So I knew him in 2002 to be a really good person, super smart. He gave the closeout sermon that- um, You that talked Senate about him to me before, yes. yes. That's he the was, guy who like brought it down. Did, and he was at Ebenezer Church. So I can say that everything he says about his beliefs, his character, he was very respectful to me as a woman in this sea of men. Um, so I, 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 I do think good things about him and I thought he did a good job, but here's the thing. You've got to run on something. Yes. And a lot of people were running on checking Trump or Trump messed up. And so voters said, okay, fine, we'll get rid of Trump, but we don't know why we should like you yeah. better than this other person. Yeah. We need a coherent vision. And the way that people, so I, I just think it's one of those things that needs to happen. I think it'll come together. I'm, I'm hopeful about that. But I think that the need to get rid of Trump was so such a burning thing that now we have to remember that we still have to fight for the things we want. We and still I'm gotta so pay happy. attention to the cabinet appointees. We gotta pay attention and we gotta fight and we gotta you know, push this conversation and these agendas, yeah. And once they're there, then we need to make demands on them. That's you right. By me, okay. You work for me and every other American, yeah. and therefore we need to make demands on the people we employed and we selected somehow to um, represent our government and run our government. Um, so I, I, I think that with the water shuttle, I think it's a great thing to have happen right now. I think that now is the time to also make demands for systemic changes, so that before this great thing ends, we don't end up just pushing the cart down the road. We need to figure out how to move the cart out of the road completely. And um, that's where I think the activists can come together with some realistic demands. And I really believe that our demands need to be not 
tied to a candidate, but tied to our policy values and really saying to anybody who's running for anything, where do you stand on water as a human right? Where do you stand on housing as a human right? Healthcare, food, all of the things that we need. If you have caveats, well, housing is a human right, but people, Lord helps those who help themselves. You may or may not be somebody I can support and we need to get you on record. So I think this is a good start. Um, whoever else comes out, there is a Detroiters Bill of Rights, and those are a set of platform ideals that have been pulled together by a number of activists, and we can just start asking questions along those lines. In fact, Orlando, over the next few months, I would like for us to invite a couple folks on this show, Mayor Duggan, anybody he's uh, running against, answer these questions, where you stand on the Detroit Bill of Rights, or anything else that we think is relevant to the needs of the people in our population. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, Mayor Duggan, you, of course, you've always had, but you have an open invitation to appear here on Authentically Detroit uh, with Donna Gibbons-Davidson and myself, um, especially after the announcement tomorrow. And any other person who throws their hat in the ring, uh, we want you to stop through Authentically Detroit. Uh, our listeners, uh, you know, they listen, they hope, and they'll hold you accountable. And I think it's a good place. This, this is a platform you shouldn't ignore. Uh, the other uh, the other piece um, about what you said down around this, you know, it being about policy and not the person. I am so looking forward to uh, election season next year here in the city of Detroit, even around the city council races. Um, uh, I think that we're going to see something exponentially different than what we've seen um, in years past. But I'm also looking forward to, you know, watching you and asking, uh, watching you from afar and uh, at the forefront of a lot of these conversations around policy and the Detroiters Bill of Rights, you were of a lot of uh, the social justice warriors and activists that were named in today's press conference and uh, following literature after the press conference. And so uh, your your work is cut out for you, but uh, I, as, as, as the journalist, between the two of us will be on standby to ask all of the questions and help to amplify and provide platform for uh, the Detroiters, the constituency uh, that is alongside you. Like you're, you're, you're not just representing uh, Eastsiders on the east side. Eastsiders are alongside you. They're with you and they represent themselves pretty well. So I'm looking forward to it. This is gonna be uh, something that everyone is going to be paying attention to. Another thing that uh, Donna and I have been talking a lot about, along with a few other folks, is you know transparency around city budgeting. Right? Another another um, question that I posed um, on my Facebook status was around Barack Obama's uh, comment around defund the police being a snappy uh, slogan, and it's certainly a conversation that we've been having here in the city of Detroit around. Uh, our budget for the police department. And budgeting starts in January. And so um, Detroiters, activists and organizers, we have you know a lot of work cut out for you guys uh, next year. But my, my promise to everybody is that we will be uh, part of the public record um, at Bridge Detroit, especially around budgetary um, issues and the budgeting process in the city of Detroit. We have to be. How you spend your money speaks to what your values are. 
you can say you love me, but I need to see your balance sheet, you know? Martha <laughs> Jean Queen used to have a radio show where on payday, she would call out, let wives know that the husbands got paid from the plant. Um, That's right. My, gra my great granny used to home. say, no finance, no romance. Exactly. <laughs> you your money home. You can say you love me, but is the heat on? You know, I just watched Crooklyn again. <laughs> This weekend, and oh my goodness, had another the lights went out. Oh, lights went goodness. out, and when she was just trying so hard. So I think that you know how our government spends its money really speaks to who our government values. And I also believe that when you know better, you do better. And so, to the extent we can help our government know how to do a better job, it is our responsibility to um, be part of that conversation and to make sure that everybody on the east side and anybody who listens really has an opportunity to join in, um, so. Yeah, maybe that'll be a live show with the mayor. That'll be fun. So, yeah, go ahead. No, go on. Uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, we'll we'll get hard to at work at uh, extending um, an invitation to his communications um, his communications director to get them on. I think that'll be fun. Donna, this has been, you know, uh, a, a really robust and, and timely conversation given everything that went on today. This was a very, very busy um, news day. Um, I want to uh, shout out, uh, <laughs> shout out to, uh, you know, the folks who are still going to work in the Capitol, not in, are unaware if in their colleagues have COVID because the GOP refuses to make public um, positive cases. And so folks are, you know, taking extra precautions, but still showing up in Lansing um, on our behalf, especially our uh, Detroit delegation. We see you. The HBTAP deadline, uh, that is the property tax um, exemption uh, program for low to moderate income Detroiters, you can receive a partial exemption or a full exemption. That deadline is still set for December the 14th. Uh, I wanna shout out, oh man, I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna shout out Dewan uh, Dandridge and Black Leaders Detroit of which I am a proud member. I think Donna is a proud member of Black Leaders Detroit as well, uh, who gave out, who re-granted monies to uh, businesses that are led by and owned by Black folks in the city of Detroit and, and established um, a new award in the name of our brother and our friend, uh, Marlo uh, Stoudemire. Uh, full disclosure, uh, British Detroit received one of the Marlo Stoudemire grants. Um, I had the opportunity to speak with Valencia and uh, she, she, couldn't be, she couldn't be more proud uh, that folks in the city want to honor Marlo's legacy in this way. She also let me know that, you know, it's been nine months uh, since his passing. And, you know, every year, this is Marlo's birthday time. Every year he threw a huge party for his birthday. Um, and so, you know, while we continue to honor his legacy and while we continue to, you know, do amazing things in his name, let's continue to lift up uh, Valencia um, and the kids. Um, this, you know, it, it, it isn't easy. It's not easy for those of us who were close to him and were friends with him. So we know it's not easy for his wife and children. So those are my shout outs. Donna, you got shout outs? Well, um, just a couple other things too. There is um, 
an eviction um, diversion program that um, if anybody's at risk of um, being evicted from their home and they have to pay rent, you and your um, landlord have until the end of this year to apply. Um, and you can make 100% of the area median income to qualify for this program. Um, and you can, I believe, is DetroitEvictionHelp.com is the, um, but just Google it if that's not it. Um, you can get the help you need. Um, so please go ahead and take advantage of that. I believe there were about four to five million dollars that were designated for Detroit. And the last I heard, we spent about one million of that. I'm sure um, that number has gone up since, but we have until the end of the year to spend that money. I want to shout out our um, state rep, Cynthia Johnson, for standing tall and also for holding her colleagues accountable for the racism that she experienced. I want to shout out- Appropriately um, named Whiteford. <laughs> Sorry. I want to shout out um, State Senator Stephanie Chang for her work in um, introducing a bill that would um, allow people to go three years without having to reapply for the property tax exemption. Stephanie is always in there making solutions. I say she is Michigan's own Elizabeth Warren because Stephanie has all of these policy ideas that, that she introduces. She's a solutionary and I love her for it. Um, I wanna shout out um, Tanaya Marshall Hansford from Ivy Kitchen. I had the opportunity to extend- Oh yeah. Um, Flagstar, um, Black Leaders Detroit grant to her. And she's got an amazing restaurant that I still have to go to on Jefferson, yeah. not too far from um, Sinbad. So if you haven't heard of it, check it out. She's an amazing woman. I just really was excited to meet her and um, learn more about what she's doing. And I wanna shout out every single person who has been fighting the good fight to get water turned on. You are appreciated. This is your fight. This is your victory. You raised the issue and you refused to let people look away as you fought on behalf of women. There's a long list. Um, also, I wanna shout out, this is not actually a happy moment for me, but um, I'm gonna shout out um, Dylan Brown, who was at ECN and is now working um, for the city for the Office of Civil Rights. We miss you, Dylan. Um, this is a great move for you. Um, ECN helps people move on and up into the world. And um, we try to expand our kingdom to the entire city of Detroit <laughs> so that um, we can help people who are, have been inculcated with the values that we share um, to be plant, planted in various places. I wanna shout out Elle Hamilton, our senior accountant who has retired as of December 25th. Oh, Al wow. Is, Al, I have to send him a text. Yes, Al has been wonderful. He, um, he's actually, I've worked with him for over the past, you know, 10 years uh, in a couple of jobs. And he's just been a solid, dependable, reliable, committed, hardworking, talented man who sets an example of leadership. Um, and when Al is off ill, he still works. Doesn't matter if he's working or not. He's always going to do work. I've never met a person who just refuses to take a vacation um, like <laughs> Al, but he is going to invest in himself and his family. Aside from being our senior accountant, he is also the pastor of a church in Southfield. And um, that dual responsibility has been a lot. And we're going to miss you, Al. 
but we love you. And I think he's going to possibly stay connected as will Dylan in some um, other way. I love it. I love it. I love it. Listen, we want you to have uh, a great week. Try to center some joy, find some joy in this week. If you can, if not, we understand and we'll be here same time next week. Thank you for listening. We want you to catch the wave.